All right. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Rojas Report. Uh, thanks for joining. If you're joining live and uh, and you may be noticing, hey, last time I've tried to join the Rojas Reports, it said I was locked out unless I was a subscriber. Well, I've changed that. So you don't have to be a subscriber to watch the live video. But, you know, um, by tomorrow, this video will be in the archives and you will need to join to be able to watch it. But thanks for joining us live. I want everybody to get in their questions. And uh, of course, to do that join, just click the little join button there and you'll see it's just a couple bucks a month to be able to watch all the archive interviews that I've done, including with uh, people like Luis Elizondo, ran the Pentagon program and uh, and. Um, also, Christopher Mellon, who a uh, very important figure who kind of made all of what's going on right now happen and the things that I'll be talking to Nick Pope about. And this is a great interview, too. Always honored to have Nick Pope on the show. Nick Pope worked for the Ministry of Defense, essentially uh, working on a UFO desk is a term we we usually use. And I do want to start with this um, just so you can kind of explain it. And I think that uh, Luis Elizondo has been in kind of a similar um, predicament in that people have kind of, you know, Luis has tried to say it's a program, but it wasn't a full on program ATIP. Uh, other people have called it a portfolio, but he's also tried to say, well, it's not like it's just something I spent a little bit of time on. I did work with others kind of similar to the program you worked on and you get similar feedback. Hey, Nick is saying it was a big project and it wasn't, um, you know, uh, so, but, and, but it's still hard for you to be able to define what it was. Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes people, some people in the UFO community almost overthink this and they're like, well, is it a program? Is it a project? Is it a desk? Is it a portfolio? What is it? I mean, the, the simple answer is if it is something you do as part and parcel of your government job, then it is official business. And we in the UK didn't give our work on this subject a formal name. So you won't find something like Project Blue Book UK version. Uh, but what you will find and what you've seen, you've read a lot of them. I know we've, we've spoken about some of them. You'll find at the National Archives in the UK, 60,000 pages of documents about this that have been uh, released into the public domain, declassified over the years. And obviously, if you've got 60,000 pages of documents on something generated by the Ministry of Defense, this isn't something that a few of us decided to do as, as a personal interest. This was a long-standing research and investigation effort. And you know whether you call it a portfolio, a, a project, a program, to us who, who lived it, it kind of doesn't really matter. It's, it was our government job. So yeah, I, I'm, I think in the same position as Lou with some of this, that it, it sometimes surprises and frustrates me how some people obsess over this and said, but he said it was a program and now we find out it's a project or, or you know, things like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Uh, unfortunately for Elizondo, uh, I think that uh, learning from your experience, he's never going to get away from that. Because unfortunately, to this day, I get that kind of comment. You know, Nick Pope said this, and it's actually this. So, But uh, I think you've got a good point, people looking too far into it. Because in the end, it was something that you all did, uh, just like Elizondo, in an official capacity. And that's what's important. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, with defense resources and capabilities being as tightly stretched as they are, there is no time for for kind of personal interests or hobbies. And my goodness, if you, you spent more than five minutes looking at something that didn't fall squarely into the category of being core defense business, your your bosses would pull you out of that and you'd probably end up disciplined. Mm-hmm. Which is another great point. It's not like uh, for either of you, this is a hobby or something yeah. that uh, it, it was official work. Absolutely. And uh, I, I'm in the fortunate position. I, Lou is getting there. Um, but I'm in a, a much more fortunate position in that a, a much bigger proportion of the UK government's documentation on this has been declassified and released. I, I know people like Chris Mellon and Lou himself are, I'm sure, working behind the scenes, uh, lobbying for more of the work that he did to be declassified and released. But that's that's a whole nother story. Now, um the hot topics right now, two hot topics. One hot topic in the UFO community uh, has been, you know, are the the candidates during the debates going to be asked a UFO question? Um, then we see the first presidential debate last night, uh, if you could call it a debate. And it was a little bit of a mess. Um, in this debate environment, do you foresee the UFO question arising? Well, I had made a couple of tweets about this, and I had said that given the divisions we see in U.S. society at the moment on almost every conceivable issue, wouldn't it be interesting, refreshing, frankly, almost fun to get away from that just for a moment to step outside a party political issue and ask a real left field question about UFOs. Well, we didn't have that question yesterday. Um, as I put it in a tweet, um, if aliens are going to be the ultimate October surprise, this couldn't have happened in the September debate. So I'm, I'm kind of hedging my bets a little. And I'm saying that uh, it may it may still come. Arguably, if there's going to be a question about UFOs, maybe it's going to come in the debate that covers um, overseas issues, foreign policy, geopolitics, Russia, China, threats from other nations, wars, conflict. Uh, maybe it, it will come there and maybe it will sit more neatly in with a, a Space Force question, perhaps. It'll be dovetailed in, I don't know. Um, it, it may not happen at all, but I still think that it would be interesting, fun. And look, I, I, I don't want to imply that this is some sort of joke here. It's not a joke. With the US military interacting with these things, with the Senate Intelligence Committee and the Armed Services Committee taking an active interest, this this is you're squarely within government business, and therefore it is an absolutely legitimate topic on which to ask both, both candidates. Right. It, it is totally legit. I think uh, people would agree. And I, I agree with you. What would be interesting is uh, the possibility that they could both actually agree on something in that, uh, you know, it's an interesting topic and something worth exploring. I could see them agreeing at least going that far. Well, it would be nice to think so. But uh, I, I think even in something as 
apolitical as that, they'd they'd probably find uh, something to disagree about. And uh, again, as I said, somewhat tongue in cheek yesterday, uh, it would be uh, you know Zeta Reticuli ate your lunch, Joe. But I think that this question. Uh, has a uh, is actually very important and pertinent to what's going on right now and that is you know kind of the mainstream institutions gauging uh the public's interest and the nature of the public's interest in this topic uh the uh, senate intelligence committee asked the you know military intelligence agency uh to agencies to, you know, write these reports on UAPs. They want to find out what do you know? What have you looked into? And can we create a place which has become this UAP task force to kind of gather this information and to head up uh, this research? Um, but I don't know that. Uh, I think I'm going to speculate that it was surprising um, to the uh defense intelligence that they would be asked to come up with a public part, uh, a public response, which was even beyond what Chris Millen had suggested the Senate Intelligence Committee do. And, uh, you know, what sort of, I wouldn't imagine the Senate Intelligence Committee had also knows what sort of political um, ramifications there would be for looking into this topic. Well, I think the first point I'd make in response uh, to, to your question there is to say that, of course, while the Senate Intelligence Committee has demanded this report from Director of National Intelligence in consultation with others as, as appropriate, in, including SecDef, of course, but others too, um, some people on the Senate Intelligence Committee, and, and indeed some on the Armed Services Committee, have already had a briefing about this and by this what i mean is is the u.s navy encounters with these objects the three videos um we we know uh, certainly that that people like uh, mark warner have had that briefing and and another of a number of other senators have confirmed that they've received this briefing and they've been fairly tight-lipped about it so the the first point is is the interesting fact that having had that briefing they didn't go away and say okay thanks we're, we're satisfied with all that what they did and and clearly people like chris mellon have had a hand in in at the very least lobbying perhaps even drafting some of the text um, what what they said on the senate intelligence committee is thanks having had that briefing we now want more so it it kind of suggests that what they were told in that briefing did not satisfy them to the point where they just said, thanks very much, and packed up their papers and walked out of the room. No, they they clearly were, were left with the feeling that more needed to be done, hence the demand for this report. Now, going on to the setting up of the UAP task force and what is and isn't going to be made public, it's kind of interesting because it goes back almost to your first question about programs and projects and portfolios. We don't really know what the task force is. Uh, we don't know how many people are on it and whether they're on it full time or just um, in parallel with their normal 
duties. We don't know at what grade or rank these people uh, sit. We, we don't know whether they're military or civilian or, or a mixture. Uh, task force, obviously, is one of these great action phrases. It sounds purposeful and dynamic, but you know, playing devil's advocate, it could turn out to be you know, just, just one official at, at fairly junior or middle rank, just, just trying to pull all this together. And let's be clear about one thing. I think it, it, it's abundantly clear to me that one of the first things, perhaps the key task of the UAP task force is going to be to enable the um, intelligence community to turn around to the Senate Intelligence Committee and say, you asked us to take action on this, and we've taken action. We set up uh, a body to look at this. And the, the UAP task force, their first job, doubtless, will be to draft a, a response back to the committee on this. That's going to be the, the main thing that they're going to be doing over the, the first few weeks and months. Mm -hmm. I think that the um, <clears throat> the fact that the Senate Intelligence Committee, SISI is what Elizondo calls them. I guess that's a military term for that group. But um, they are kind of nodding to the public interest by asking for this public report. But um, and I'm sure they're aware that articles, television shows, your interviews, for instance, on Fox News are very popular um, and they are consumed by the public. But that consumption, and I think there's a little bit of, uh, this is important, especially for the UFO community who kind of act more like activists in this field. A nod to an, the interest is not necessarily an acknowledgement that uh, the public is asking for and and you know are very adamant about getting secrets answered, but more that they have uh, at least a level of interest in the topic. Um, I think that's an important distinction in kind of trying to figure out what might be happening going forward. Um, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And I think there's a huge difference between the the way in which the UFO community perceives this and the way in which the the wider public does. I mean, when you and I sit down and discuss this, we get down to a level of granularity that, that the general public will never reach. And and we know the ins and outs of the story. We we know, you know, for example, the Senate Intelligence Committee put this request into the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021. And um, what they've asked for, of course, it's interesting, they've asked for an unclassified report, but they have said that it, it may have, for example, a, a classified annex to it or a classified part. Now, that's separate from saying this is automatically going to be, even the unclassified report, separate from saying automatically all the business of the UAP task force is going to be made public. I mean, clearly it isn't. But going back to your, your point, yeah, the, the level of understanding that the person in the street has is, is something like this. Oh, yes, UFOs. Yes, I, I've seen those, those videos 
of the Navy jets. And I've, I've, you know, without wanting to, to put myself at the heart of it, but, but some of them would say things like, well, I've seen Nick Pope on Taki Carlson talk about this. And I've, uh, I've just done my 10th interview on Tucker's show. And, uh, I, I can't claim to have briefed the president, by the way, but we know that the president watches Tucker's show. So I guess every time I do those interviews, I am aware that the audience probably does include POTUS. So, so that's an interesting, when I sit down, it's an interesting aside, but when I sit down and do those interviews, I'm always thinking at the back of my mind, is the president watching this tonight? Is, is he seeing this one? Um, and the answer is probably yes. So it's, it's very, very important. And I choose my words very carefully for obvious reasons. But yeah, there is this huge difference. I think the general public really has this, this more nebulous awareness that, yeah, we, we thought all this was crazy stuff, but now I'm beginning to figure it's not. It's cropping up on the evening news shows more often. I've seen the videos. I've heard the president talk about it. But but they don't necessarily, you know, they don't know their sissies from their DNIs. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and neither well, does the not UFO in relation, community. Yeah, not in relation to, to this issue, at least. Mm -hmm. And I think all of this is really important in that, you know, how much motivation or momentum is there for the public to, uh, and especially, the, I guess, and also the UFO community to get the sort of answers they're looking towards. Um, in other words, I, I think what we're seeing, although exciting, um, that the military is going to be talking about and addressing the topic and taking it seriously, all, you know, incredible compared to you know, what you and I have seen over the last few decades um, covering this topic. Uh, I remember one of your early, uh, you know, Fox News uh, interviews with, uh, I think it was, uh, I forget it, the one, the show that Megan um, um, Kelly used to be on. And uh, you talked about uh, cat and mouse kind of chases, dogfights. And, you know, that was shocking to them. But now it's not. Now they're hearing this from the Navy, um, the United States Navy and everything. So the topic has moved forward, uh, at least in, in credibility. But, you know, when it comes to uh, lobbying or a true kind of people are calling for, you know, UFO community saying, you know, you, there's going to be Senate hearings or we need to have this sort of thing. It doesn't seem like it's got really that much momentum. In fact, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would love to hear your prediction, that if this UAP report came back, like you said, here's what we've done. We created this task force. We're going to start, you know, taking this serious and look into it. Um, I wouldn't doubt if there's an asterisk or a caveat in that, you know, there's been a lot of drone technology uh, and drone incursions that we really want to get a handle on, that that's the sort of thing we're going to hear, and that the Senate Intelligence Committee may be satisfied with that. and. That's it. You know, I think uh, kind of tempering expectations. I think we're going to see something more along those lines than any kind of major revelations. And of course, you've been through this as the UK government um, went through a process of releasing information. And you kind of said the same thing, guys, don't expect, you know, the address for the UFO in the hangar type of thing. Um, what are your expectations or pr predictions? Well, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think uh, we may very well get a fairly 
anodyne report uh, couched in the language of incursions into ranges, uh, discussing the increased availability of, of drones, nodding to the possibility that foreign adversaries like China or Russia uh, might, might be developing technologies with reconnaissance uh, capabilities or piggybacking on to, to sort of domestic drone use uh, in, in espionage terms. Uh, to, to try and get a closer look at various U.S. military installations, for example. So, so I, I, I don't, I don't think we are going to get um, some sort of discussion about possibility of extraterrestrial visitation. I think we'll get this fairly bland language. I mean, heck, I, I don't want to set myself up here, but, but I, I. I if I had a little time, I, I would have a go at drafting the sort of thing that I think you'll get. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of that is, is pretty much what, what happens. So absolutely, there, people shouldn't get their hopes up that, that this is some sort of prelude to disclosure. And there's actually, I would take it further and say there's a real threat here and, and the threat is pretty much exactly what you said, that this report is going to go back to the Intelligence Committee. It's going to say, yeah, we, we looked at this. We've set up a group. Of course, we take incursions into restricted military airspace seriously. But, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, this is just a kid flying a drone. Some cases remain unidentified, but who knows? You know, it's just because we didn't get there in time. And, and we will continue to to watch carefully and and police our our airspace and our our facilities and that's it and the senate intelligence committee says thanks very much and that is is the end of what some people are wrongly thinking is going to be a sort of project blue book mark 2 um and, and really the report back from the task force to the senate intelligence committee puts puts a a, a, a full stop on it and that the u.s government then basically says well we're effectively disengaging again and i think yeah and and people are, are kind of in the chat getting uh disappointed by hearing that but this is you know i've been asking other people these same questions along these lines especially people who have a pulse on dc have a history of working inside of the government and i think this is a more realistic angle and i think that uh it's important for especially people in the ufo community to understand that so for example um steven padilla he's saying well if that's true then the cover-up's just going to continue well if you believe there is a cover-up of like a hangar with a alien spacecraft I believe you're right. If you believe that it, there's a cover-up of, of information like that, that you're not going to get information like that out of this UAP report. And so in your mind, yes, the cover-up will continue. Um, but at the same time, you've got to, and that's why it's important to see this as, from a governmental perspective. Um, I just recently posted a story about Jimmy Carter trying to get NASA to look into UFOs. And one of the issues NASA brought up was we're kind of – getting it on both ends um, or the UFO community is going to be disappointed and, and say there's a cover up no matter what we say um, 
on the one hand. On the other hand, if we try to take this seriously and do serious investigations, we're straining our relationships with credible scientific organizations and, and sci the scientific community, which we don't want to do. Um, so there was no positive in their mind reason to open up a UFO kind of research group. Um, and that still exists to this day in that I don't know that there's any answer. There's probably no answer in your experience that you've been able to give to people um, uh, regarding your work in this arena, nor anybody else's. Even when it comes to, to the Stars and Elizondo, they can't give satisfactory answers to much of the UFO community who's expecting you know, more information about some major cover-up that is just likely not coming. This UAP, I don't see any indications or signals from the uh, DOD that this UAP report's going to include anything like that. Do you see anything like that? No, I don't. And I think, again, I don't want to disappoint people, but in one sense, there's there's no point people getting their hopes up, expecting something that has about a 0% chance of happening. And a scenario that has about a 0% chance of happening is a scenario where the UAP task force goes back to... Uh, the intelligence committee and says, you tasked us with having a look at this. And one of the things that you asked us to do was to collate information already held in the government, the military, the intelligence community to, to see who has what and who knows what. And, and hey, great news, people. We we found it. It it was in a hangar somewhere. And and yeah, we think this is this is what crashed at Roswell. And here it is. And let's let's make this public. That's not going to happen. Um, probably because that's not a situation that reflects reality. There probably is no spaceship in a hangar. But if there was, um, I, I very much doubt that, uh, that, that it would play out that way anyway, that mm -hmm. UAP task force would say, hey, we found it, and let's make it public. I mean, so it's in, in one sense, it's a lose-lose. So yeah, go on. I was just going to say, and, and before people get too bummed out that we're kind of just, you know, bursting bubbles, I do want to get to some of the important questions that I think are getting raised um, that are along the lines of what we're, what the UFO community is kind of looking towards, which I think is important. Um, and some people are making the point that, you know, these videos, these TikTok videos got noticed by the right people, scientists and, and others. And I think you're right. Those are kind of the silver linings. Someone else brought up the, the word threat. Um, that the UAP task force does not have the term threat in it, um, like uh, ATIP did. Uh, and, you know, especially for the UFO community, uh, this term threat has been important, although I think they've been looking at it, largely many of them, the wrong way. And for instance, you just used the word threat previously in discussing, you know, what the UAP task is looking into. And I think people it lose the fact that, because you even talked about this when you talked about your program, the, the crux of the issue that defense is dealing with are threats. Um, and in order to get a budget or get the defense um, community to look into this, you've got to frame it as a potential threat and certainly something unidentified with technologies that we can't recognize warrants a threat. Uh, 
So just because the UAP task force is doesn't have the word threat in their title, we're hearing a lot about drones from them. Um, drone incursions are really the main topic that the DOD is talking about regarding all of this stuff. And uh, those certainly pose threats. Yeah, let me back it up and say that that those people watching this with a background in government will know that government regards almost everything in terms of threats and opportunities. So you could take any issue almost at random, like, like genetically modified mosquitoes. And, and you sit down in government, if you're looking at these sorts of things, and you say, well, what's, what's the opportunity? Well, the opportunity is maybe the chance to eradicate or peg back malaria, um, to, you know, and, and then you say, what are the threats? And, you know, you, well, what could possibly go wrong? So, so of course, um, the, the value of the dollar suddenly falling, what's the threat? What's the opportunity in terms of the market selling, buying bonds, stocks, securities, I mean, everything, everything government does, not just UFOs is looked at through this lens, but with UFOs, I mean, it doesn't mean when people talk about threat, it doesn't mean, as some people in the UFO community think, that government have decided that extraterrestrials are evil aliens coming to exterminate us or or conquer us. And, and you know, of course, this upsets those who take a more spiritual and new age view of the phenomenon. I get that. I, that's not what we're saying. What we are saying is, firstly, as you correctly pointed out, you will never get this taken seriously in government or resourced if you don't couch it in the language of threats. Because if, if once you start talking about the threats, people say, oh, maybe we'd better do something. And, and you know, Armed Services Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee wouldn't have touched this if somebody somewhere hadn't played up the threat narrative. So that's a part of it. The other part, and I've I've talked about this before. There's there's an equation that we use to define threat, and threat is is simply defined as capability times intent. We have some data, MASINT, IMINT, that suggests that capability is quite impressive. We have no real data if we're dealing with extraterrestrials. But even even given that some people are saying, is it China? Is it Russia? Is it something else? We have no we have no hard data on what the intent is. So if you know the capability, but you don't know the intent, you can't say whether there is or isn't a threat. And you're back to the default position of government and military that it's better to assume a threat and be relieved when one doesn't materialize than assume there is no threat and be caught out when it suddenly appears. Right. So, and putting that in perspective into uh, what we're looking at and why we're hearing, I think the verbiage uh, or the talking points that we're getting from DOD press uh, office, for example, around the drones in that. Um, and I think, you know, even Chris Millen um, leaned on this to to move things forward wisely um, is that, you know, we've had this blind spot due to the um, taboo of or the, you know, 
giggle factor regarding UFOs towards UAPs and, and encompassed in that are these drones and drone technologies. Um, and we have, a and they've even, you know, talked about this. We've got these incursions by, um, in nuclear facilities and we don't know what they are and we haven't solved most of these to identify them. That is an identifiable threat that, that needs to be solved and a problem that needs to be addressed. And I think that is the main weight I would say, uh, and I would love your opinion when it comes to the Senate intelligence committee, taking a look at this and taking it seriously, that's the immediate threat that can be solved rather than, um, the true unidentified. Yes, and let's not forget that the official position of the DOD is still in in relation to these three videos, for example. But obviously, there are more than than just three encounters and incursions. But taking the three videos, the official line is still that these things are quote unidentified on. Quote. So the question arises, and I, I know I get that a lot of people say, oh, it's not Russia or China. Well, you know, with respect, people people making those sorts of comments don't know, because un unless they are serving you know, members of the military intelligence community who hold the portfolio for, you know, uh, Russia and China, I mean, somewhere there's a Russia desk, there's a China desk. Uh, there is somewhere in government somebody who, when when the president asks the question, um, you, you know, I, I see a lot about hypersonic weapons. I see a lot about AI-controlled drone swarms. How much of this is just talk and on the drawing board? What is being developed? What is operational? And where do we stand, for example, with with Russia, China? Um, Iran, North Korea, what, do they have any of these technologies? And somebody somewhere in government will be the person who is the subject matter expert on that, who will have to make a binary call as to whether, say, China does or does not have X. Or, and, and so all the people saying it's not Russia or China, with the greatest possible respect, they're, they're probably not you know, briefed in to make that call. Somebody is, somebody is, as I say, and, um, you know, um, we, we then get into the somewhat hazy area of, uh, and I mentioned binary, but, um, you know, sometimes you will have, even with a we don't know, there'll be what I, what I call the best current assessment. So, yeah. I get that these three videos are unidentified, but what's your best current assessment? There'll be one. And um, again, I've mentioned this before. There's a, there's a dating back to the Vietnam War. The CIA did a paper on on the language of estimative probability, and and this this all came about because of a, an infamous briefing where it was like, well, do the Viet Cong have this? And it was like, yeah, we think it's quite likely. And people came out of the briefing with different interpretations of what that meant. Did it mean greater than 50% or did it mean, say, 90%? So, so CIA did a paper to define this. And all these theories about Tic Tac and others, 
Russia, China, US black project, extraterrestrial hypothesis. All those theories will probably have been looked at and briefed and someone will have put a percentage likelihood on those particular things. So unless Russia or China have been put down at a 0% probability and, and it's a very brave or foolish intelligence officer who'll go down to a 0% for that sort of thing. Uh, no, Mr. President, there is absolutely no way that Russia or China have that. No, far more likely they'll, they'll hedge their bets as they always do. You know, well, we, we think it's most unlikely, but we can't rule it out because people are developing things in secret. And however good you think your own intelligence and reconnaissance is, somewhere in a hangar, someone might have developed something that you haven't found out about. So you really don't want to go in and, and say to the president, uh, this is a 0% chance that this is, is Chinese, unless you are really, really kind of, this is my career, sure. <laughs> well, and I think that that categorizes uh, these these uh, incidents as well. So, for example, to your point, you know, um, they're not going to want to say it's definitely not Chinese or Russian. What's interesting and uh, unique and important about the Nimitz event is that the Navy's kind of gone on record in saying it. We don't think it's Chinese or Russian. We don't know what it is. So it's a true unidentified kind of the problem with that is what do you do with it? Um, putting together that formula that you, you gave us, is it a threat or is there an opportunity? Um, there could be, of course, an opportunity to uh, gain some technological advantage if you can figure out what that technology is. But if it's just kind of flying around, that the stories mostly what we hear are very similar to Nimitz. 1952 over Washington, D.C., same thing. Many, many cases where the objects fly around uh, in airspace they shouldn't be in, uh, jets are scrambled, the object may stick around for a second. Typically, they take off at very fast speed, or maybe if they do hang around a second, there's a little bit of a dogfight or, or you know, cat and mouse game that's played before the objects take off in incredible speed. There's not much technology insight you can gain from encounters like that, like the Nimitz situation. Um, so there might not be much opportunity they've found there. Um, but still, uh, to your earlier point, you would still put it in the threat category because you don't know what it is. But after years of these sort of incursions without anybody getting hurt, it's not that much of a threat either. So um, which kind of drives that coupled with the uh, the taboo, the uncomfortable uh, ability that people have discussing UFOs or even reporting UFO sightings, even in the Nimitz uh, analysis that we saw, George Napleek, they, they faced some heavy ridicule, uh, the pilots, when they got back to their ship. Uh, you know, that was documented uh, in those, those in analysis. So, I mean, it's kind of all angled towards we don't know what to do with these real true unidentifieds, um, and we're not doing much about them, um, whether it's incompetence or just uh, we don't have the motivation to do so. Um, that seems to be at least the state of affairs currently. 
I'm going to disagree. Yes, I'm okay. going to I'm going to disagree with one of the points that you made. And although absolutely there are similarities between, say, the Nimitz event and and some much more historical ones. Where I disagree is I believe that with the modern technology that we have, with with, for example, some of the Mazint, the, the measure, measurement and signature intelligence um, that can be done with modern technology that was not simply not available with these historical accounts. I think I would say I would argue that the opportunity is more uh, within our grasp than it has been before. And and I think we saw with these 38 scientific and technical reports produced under the ATIP contract, we, we saw that mindset that finally, perhaps with, with Mazint and with other techniques, some of this might be within our grasp in, in a way that it, it wasn't in, in the 50s, figuring out how these things fly. Uh, whoever, Although I would argue those dirge were created under a kind of pseudo defense project. Really, that was Reed's project. Um, it wasn't something the Pentagon created on their own. It was something that kind of Harry Reed foisted upon them in a way. But if you look at the, the wording of Harry Reed's um, June 24th, 2009 letter to the uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense. Um, actually, of course, it ties in perfectly with what you mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, it, it talks about um, the, the opportunities of technology acquisition, and it talks about the catastrophic damage to the national interest that would arise were these technologies, whatever their source, to first fall into the hands of an adversary. And it even talks, I, I think I haven't got it in front of me, but it, it uses a phrase along the lines of uh, a better understanding of these technologies would cement the US's current position as, as the dominant military power, uh, superpower uh, on, on the face of the planet. And, and so I think, yes, you could say whether or not this was Harry Reid's pet project, it was couched in language that certainly people initially within the Defense Intelligence Agency, but ultimately uh, DOD too, absolutely bought into. Yeah, we get this and, and we can maybe figure out some of the theoretical physics behind this. And, you know, like I say, whatever we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, uh, although... Um, I think that the press department is playing down that aspect of it. To your point, we really can't gauge. It's difficult to gauge how much of an opportunity they see there or even how much money has or effort has been sent to pursue um, just to have these UAP investigation uh, groups throughout several agencies demonstrates that at least at some level, there were some people seeing an opportunity. Um, to what extent, yes. we don't know. And and uh, again, yes, of course, the reason for classification can often be that that it hides, you know, me, you know met sources and methods. Say, um, 
but it can also be because there is extremely valuable and and um, in and of itself highly classified technical data on there, which which shows that we have derived through Mazint and other techniques some valuable information and and the clue or the the potential clue there might be these Freedom of Information Act requests that said um, in relation to material held on the Nimitz incident and and uh, uh, the others, there there is a secret video and and a top secret briefing slide, and and that poses the question: Well, why are those levels of classification being used when the Pentagon says that the three videos that they put up, um, obviously they leaked before, but that, that they put up on, what was it, April 27th this year, uh, are unclassified. So what what additional information is is on the film, which is probably just the same essential incident, and the briefing slide about these incidents that suddenly slides us from unclassified right up to, to with the briefing slide, top secret information, the compromise of which would cause catastrophic damage to, to national security. Well, and you make an important point, just that Mazent in itself, um, meaning like what material intelligence. So in other words, measurement like and yeah, measurement and, and signature, um, intelligence. I, I mean, there, there is quite a lot of information about it online, probably a little bit too much. Uh, I, I, because I don't know what's, what's been released about it and what hasn't. And, you know, I'm not going to, for obvious reasons, go, go too deep into this, but suffice to say that the technical wizards can do a lot these days. So I'm mean, way more right. Than they could do back in the 50s when we had which is classified so that the systems being used to retrieve this data and whether that be satellite radar other systems tracking systems flares uh, f-18s in the case of nimitz radar a lot of those systems some of those systems uh are classified uh more so than others, but the use of those systems and the way we use those systems is also classified, uh, which then kind of gets into the trouble of, you know, how a lot of this information is so classified and why. And that if we're to rely on, let's say, um, NRO satellites for UFO data, which would make sense that, you know, a project like a UAP task force, if they're looking for unidentified, they're going to comb you know, radar and, and satellite information for those sort of things. But these are systems and information that are typically classified and thus the, the classification um, often and thus the secrecy uh, often. Uh, it's not necessarily conspiracy. It's kind of baked in. Yes. And you obviously don't even want to get to the level of saying most, most times you don't want even to get in to, to saying whether or not any satellite was covering any of this at the time. And if it, even if it was released, you certainly don't want to get down to the level of, and of course our satellites have the ability to, to, uh, capture clearly any object bigger than X 
at a distance of Y. And we, having covered the fleet at the time of these incidents, can say, even though the objects remain unidentified, that its size was X. And yeah, you, you don't want to get into even confirming that you have that ability, let alone releasing any of the data that you might have. So yeah, sometimes the thing can be classified in and of itself. Other times um, it is because of something you have found out about it, whatever the it might be. Mm -hmm. Which kind of gets back to that issue of, okay, let's say this UAP task force wants to share, uh, wants to be more transparent. It's much more difficult um, in practice than it is to, uh, you know, than, than I think people are expecting. So even when it comes to Nimitz, let's say, for example, um, Roger Glassell, Swedish UFO researcher, asked this question. He said, oh, you know, essentially, what if you can't determine something is um, Russian or Chinese or foreign technology? What will you call it? They said, Susan Goff told him, unidentified. Um, the same thing that they have classified the Nimitz encounter as unidentified. What's going to happen with this information and the analysis of it, he asked. She just responded, I think it was just one word, classified. So in other words, you know, those unidentifieds, what might be happening with them will maybe going to somewhere where it'll be looked into, maybe not. Maybe they're like, what are we going to do with that? We don't know. We don't want to spend the manpower because there's not enough, uh, you know, enough to gain sure. from it who knows we just don't know yeah but i let's, guess this gets uh go ahead yeah let, let me just two two points on that firstly yes i often use the police analogy in relation to ufo cases and i say that at some point um an unidentified ufo sighting becomes like an unsolved police case and you know, you do the first 48, sure, but as time goes on, and particularly years, um, other things happen and less and less resources are put on something. And it's it's a bit like, well, at what point do you ever close the, the case into Jack the Ripper? I mean, all you know for sure is that Jack the Ripper's dead. Um, yes, as a matter of historical interest, it would be fascinating to find out you know, who Jack the Ripper was, but but are any police resources really going to be put on it seriously? And and so you get to this position where until and unless some new witness comes forward, a uh, piece of evidence emerges, technique is developed, the thing just sits there. And so I have some sympathy with them saying, yeah, at, at some point unidentified just means we gave it our best shot and we couldn't figure it, figure it out. I want to go back to one of your other points about the press office. Yeah, I mean, the, the press office downplay this, sure. I, I mean, that's their job. Uh, a lot of people are getting, I, I've never done a press office job, but in the Ministry of Defense on many issues, UFOs, finance, security personnel, I have, as the subject matter expert, drawn up uh, briefings for the press office to use. So the public affairs people are only as good as the information that they're being given by the subject matter experts. And obviously, when you're dealing with historical intelligence programs, where often the people aren't even in the system anymore, um, yeah, it is difficult to figure out who did what. 
um, particularly in the shadowy world of, of highly classified, deeply compartmentalized intelligence programs, where often these things were were farmed out to the private sector anyway. So, yeah, um, I, I don't think the press office is being dishonest about this. It's 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 press office 101. Talk up good news when you've got a good story to tell. Downplay bad news. And, and bad news is anything that makes you look weak or stupid. And and let's face it, saying we don't know what's going on in our airspace falls firmly into that latter category. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring this up is kind of the practicality of things. Where are we really? And where can we go from here? Um, Kevin Childress, who I know has a background in, in government and classified arena says, just because it's classified doesn't mean it's moral or legal. True, but who determines that? Who is the regulator of that? And really, it's the Senate. It is uh, our politicians who hold those purse strings. And it gets back to kind of where we started from the beginning in that, um, you know, is there really this public interest in uh, investigating those unidentified in a transparent manner. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a huge outcry from the public, regardless of what the UFO community may feel. And if the UFO community does feel really strongly that these unidentifieds need to be investigated transparently, then they really need to get their uh, politicians on board with that. They need to um, kind of rally the masses and we need to demonstrate uh, a large public interest uh, if there is one. Yes, I, I think uh, if you and polling organizations have done this, if you go out as a polling organization and you ask people what what issues mean most to you, they'll they'll come back and they'll say, you know, government response to COVID-19, um, the economy, jobs, taxes, immigration, social security, veterans affairs, pensions, uh, you know, all those. UFOs won't be on those lists. But if as a pollster you go out and you ask some very specific things, like what would you like the government to come clean on? And you put things like, you know, what, what you really know about JFK or um, and, and if you put down as a, a question, would you like the government to release more information about UFOs? People will grab it with both hands and say, yes, please. Why wouldn't we want to know it? So it's, it's sometimes it's about how you frame the question or if indeed you ask it at all. Now, you could say that's irrelevant because if this was a real public interest thing, it would come bubbling up from, from the bottom anyway. Um, but not necessarily. Sometimes, sometimes you have to say to people, "Well, would would this interest you?" And I think the answer to that would be yes, it it would. And and when polls ask those questions, you know, for example, do you think the U.S. government knows more about UFOs than it is making public? Way more than fifty percent of those polled say yes. Does that make it a, a political issue that people are going to write to their representative about? Not necessarily. Um, I don't know. So how do we take this forward? You you can kind of, I suppose, encourage people to 
write to their representative, email them and say, please keep pushing on this. Or you can say, well, look, sometimes we just have to accept that that this is an events-led field. Nobody lobbied really for for uh, New York Times to to run an article about ATIP two and a half years ago. It just happened. I mean, it happened for a number of reasons, but it it wasn't the result of lobbying from the UFO community. Other forces were at work. Mm-hmm. Right, um, which is an interesting point. Um, and, and that's another great story that I think people really don't understand and need to understand is that, you know, there was essentially a group of people who are interested, mostly the Bigelow um, group, uh, who have been working uh, in government for as contractors for quite a while, had an interest in the paranormal uh, and a relationship with Harry Reid and were able to get this Pentagon project going. Um, you know, already having ties, some of them with Leslie Kane, who was able to get this New York Times article going. So, I mean, it was a concerted effort by individuals um, with connections who were able to get this kind of story out front and, and, and to the public. Yeah, and it raises an interesting question. And I, go, I guess it goes back to Kevin's point about legal or moral. And, and you know, this is being driven forward. There's no getting away from the fact that this is being driven forward by a very small group of, of individuals, some, some uh, whose names are known, some whose names are not, some in the media. I, I think in one of the recent discussions I had about this, um, I, I said probably less than 10 mainstream news media journalists have a, a sufficiently deep understanding of, of the, this multifaceted story to cover it, to, to really follow, for example, the sorts of discussion we've, we've had today, probably less and who than knew 10. And Lou Dobbs is supposedly an expert. <laughs> right. So, so that's, and, and it raises the interesting question about, and it is almost a moral question. This is being driven forward by a very small group of individuals. So you could say, well, that's not very democratic, but, you know, we are where we are with this. And, and yes, people can and maybe should lobby and send emails and, and encourage their representative to, to ask about this. But at the end of the day, I can't help but think that the same small group of individuals who are involved in this, some you see on the TV news shows talking about it to keep it in the public eye. Some are working behind the, the scenes with some of these committees. That same small group of people are probably going to determine how this goes forward, which I think was your, your question, where do we go from here? And the answer, and, and yeah, it, maybe it isn't very democratic, but the answer is probably that this same, I, I dare I use the word cabal, but this, this small group of individuals is, is going to continue to, to do what they can, some in public, some in private, some both. Um, and, and ultimately, the average person in the street sitting up, seeing this on the evening news, probably isn't going to have a hand in driving that forward. Uh, are these people the arbiters of what's going to stay secret and what isn't? Is it, well, it is legal. I mean, all these classification 
issues are incredibly process driven. Everything is clearly defined in, in all sorts of publications as to what should be classified by who, how, uh, you know, all that. Now, whether it's moral or not is a separate separate question and, and questions like, should we release this because the public have a right to know? That's an entirely different kettle of fish. This is a good question somebody has, especially for you being a UFO pundit and, you know, perhaps one of the most visible, um, rightly so. I mean, you did what Luis Elizondo did uh, in the UK. Um, and Luis Elizondo might be the number one UFO pundit right now. Um, again, rightfully so. I mean, he worked for the Pentagon doing this. Um, this is a question that somebody has that I think is important to address, especially for the UFO community. Is the CIA, Navy, or other intelligence agency controlling the UFO narrative? Well, I don't know really who's controlling it. I, I think um, I, I I feel I've almost answered that question by my previous reference to a small group of people. I mean, in terms of who is now controlling the next step, I would say it's DNI. Um, Director of National Intelligence is the named post in the Intelligence Authorization uh, Act for fiscal year 2021, who has been tasked with delivering this report. So, so the, you know, the immediate answer is DNI, but that doesn't really tell the whole story because of course, Senate Intelligence Committee know best, know better than most that they don't necessarily know who the arbiter of, of all this is, who the ultimate authority, if indeed there is a single authority. Is, is there a single, I mean, look, for years, we didn't even know what agency uh, had had the lead on this. Then with ATIP, we thought it was DIA. Then we found out that at a certain point, DIA handed it back, um, you know, to the wider defense community. So all those questions are, are, are up in the air. And um, in, in the Intelligence Authorization Act, they hedge their bets, of course, by saying in consultation with SecDef and others as appropriate, which is their way of saying, we don't know who else might be involved with this. You, DNI, go out and find who knows what, and, and you, uh, you, then your report must reflect that. So it's, it's a tasking in the first instance to find out who the subject matter expert is. And they don't necessarily know. And I would say, you know. Sissy, I mean, don't know. Uh, if you're talking about public narrative, also why I think that you're, as a pundit, you certainly have uh, an influence as far as the public UFO narrative. And even if the Navy, which is certainly in there, and the CIA and other intelligencies are in there trying to put in their two cents um, when it comes to the narrative in the public arena, um, you know, their influence is, is somewhat limited and, you know, not necessarily that aggressive, I would say, either. Whereas people like you and Lou Elizondo certainly also are in there in that you're controlling the narrative because you're being interviewed quite a bit. Um, 
So uh, if you're talking about a public narrative, really the military, I, I think, has uh, as much influence as maybe, uh, you know, you and TTSA are all in the mix just as much as anybody else. Well, I didn't want, I, I don't want to make this sound as if it's all about people like me and Lou. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'd be the first to say it's not. But uh, there's no getting away from the fact that when people like us appear on these shows, which we know the president watches, um, I know that I am briefing not, not just Tucker having a chat, you know, and the public tuning in. I know that probably the president is watching those interviews that, that people like me and Lou and Chris do on, on Tucker Carlson tonight, on Fox and Friends, on, on whatever show it is. And I, I, you know, I'm mentioning those shows because those are the ones that are doing it most, but over the years I've done as much CNN as Fox and, and I, I'd say it's not a, it's not a party political issue. Um, but we know that there is a wider and very influential audience that we are talking to when we're giving those those answers, and and that's important. It's very important. Mm -hmm. And I guess, um, do you have time for maybe just a couple more questions? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. And uh, the reason I just, you know, obviously PR press office departments, that's their job is to influence narrative and kind of put out a message, or at least if they want to be active, they can, um, you know, be actively contacting press and media to get out a story. But the DOD hasn't really been doing that. They've been more reactive, it, it seems, um, as well as to the stars, actually. A lot of their efforts have been behind the scenes, except for if you include their television show. And, and the reason I bring you and, and Lou up so much is because you, I think, are the primary pundits right now who are being requested to come talk to media organizations along with Chris Mellon um, uh, when he can, but uh, you're more available, uh, I would say, readily available than, than they are often. And uh, the point being that there isn't this very heavy-handed kind of um, puppet master out there controlling the messaging that's going out to the public on this. No, let me go back and make two points because I think this is very important. Um, I mentioned that I had written briefs that the press office in the Ministry of Defense used. Now, there are some similarities and some differences between US and UK procedures, but the essential way it works is, is the same. On any issue, whether it's army pensions or UFOs, you will have a, a sort of um, a briefing folder. You as a public affairs person will have a, a briefing folder written by um, the subject matter expert and cleared to the appropriate level. And some stories, you proactively put them out because it's good news. And you see it every day. We're, we're launching a new ship. Um, we've made a new appointment to this, this particular uh, commanding officer post and we got a new person in and those things are proactively put out and on anything what you write at the top is a key message and your key message is always positive proactive action orientated and it's this is a great day for defense we've enhanced our capability with this new ship um uh, the the height the cutting edge of modern technology and and yeah it's all stuff like that then there's a whole load of supplementary 
questions where you as the briefer anticipate what journalists might ask. And some of this stuff is supplementary points to be proactively put out. And some of it is what we call or what we in the MOD call defensive lines to take. If raised, this is your answer. So it's it's stuff that you would not proactively put out, but you would say if asked. So it might be, isn't isn't this a you know bad time to be spending money on on something which is is very unlikely to be needed? And and your answer is, well, we we live in an unpredictable world, and although the threat level is currently low, history teaches us um, that threats sometimes emerge at short le level. This new equipment will enable us to be ready to meet any threat and something like that and then you have at the bottom information which isn't ever to be released it's just to give the public affairs officer a better feel for the subject it's just deep background for them personally so that they they get a sense as to, to how to play it and and so that's the way it works with with public affairs. I want to go back to that question uh, about who's the final arbiter on this and who, what agency or individual, because that's an interesting one. And I want to make a general point. It sounds obvious, but it's, it's the same as you see in, in any big corporation that works in teams. If something comes up and it's perceived as a sort of sexy, high profile subject, that you know is going to be resourced, you want the lead. If it's seen as, oh my goodness, this is just a chore and there's going to be no, no real opportunities for this in terms of the CEO noticing this or going to be promotion opportunities, it's just something we've got to do. You don't want that. So in relation to UAP, if, if anyone in the system thinks suddenly there's a lot of prestige and resources, There'll be a dogfight over it with people fighting to, to take the lead and and the other way around, too. Everyone will be trying to kind of palm it off on someone else if it's perceived that there's nothing really in this except a whole lot of hassle in terms of questions from journalists and FOIA requests from from a, a, a an informed and and very aggressive UFO community. No one's going to want that. Right. So and the I mean, UAP task force, the UAP task force is not going to want to turn itself into some sort of answering service for the UFO community. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, uh, you know, the messaging we've been receiving from them. Um, John Greenwald got similar messages that uh, Stephen Glassell did, both, you know, uh, researchers who FOIA a lot and try to talk to the press office and get their take on things. It, the press office has kind of alluded to that. We're, we're not interested in really sharing any information, nor do we intend to. It's all classified, the very short answers, kind of like just what you're talking about, wh which would make sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, this is a whole, this is a whole hostage to fortune. There's very little to be gained and quite a lot to be lost, not least in terms of just a lot of follow-up inquiries uh, for in, involvement in this. In, when the press office is dealing, when public affairs people are dealing with, with bad news stories or something where they really don't want to engage, if you can get away with saying nothing, you'll do so. If you can't, you'll keep your statements as, as short and as 
general as possible. And they will say little, little more than we take the territorial integrity of our airspace seriously. We investigate all alleged incursions. Um, most of them we identify. Some, regrettably, we can't. And, you know, they'll, they'll keep it. If they can, they'll keep it at that or less. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, in that, uh, I think what we're going through parallels what you had been through uh, and because you were involved with, you know, what the, the ending of the UK government's um, closing of their UFO files and that as a as a media consultant, um, you helped, you know, frame uh, some of the information they were getting out when they released their files. And it's the same thing. Uh, what they did release, I found extremely pretty interesting and that there were lots of really great cases that were in those files. And that I think is the sort of thing we may be able to expect from these reports, but not any major, um, you know, groundbreaking event. Uh, That seems to be where we've headed. That's kind of a repeat of what we've already said. Um, But then how do we change that? How do we change that is also one of the things we've been uh, addressing and to the stars has mentioned, or at least Luis Elizondo has mentioned, working with international partners. Um, can that help? So, for instance, uh, we had the Japanese um, saying recently uh, that their security defense forces should be reporting UAPs and got some some orders on how to report those. Although, interestingly, and I, I wonder if you find this interesting, they said they've never had a UAP encounter. Um, and I've never heard a, a government say that, surprisingly. Um, usually they well, admit that. It, it depends how you define it. You, you might say we've never had a, a UAP encounter. But if you ask the question, are you telling me that no radar operator has ever had an uncorrelated target on his or her screen? Or no pilot has ever seen something that she or he can't identify then of of course the answers to those questions it's ridiculous to assume that that's the situation of course it isn't now it's interesting uh, you mentioned the japanese we know that uh, sec def met his opposite number on guam i think it was on august 29th and the japanese subsequently had a press conference about this meeting and uh, said in that in the course of that meeting the question of of UFOs, UAPs came up. If you look on the DOD site, and they always release these one or two page summaries when when SecDef has these bilaterals, there's no mention of it. Um, now, to be fair, of course, they're not they're not verbatim notes, and nor do they necessarily cover everything that was raised. But it's it's certainly interesting, and uh, yes. Taking to, to your question of how do we take this forward, Lou's point about engaging with other nations, absolutely. But engaging with who? Uh, some some nations don't have UFO programs at all. Some do, but they're not public facing. Um, so again, it's and and some when they're not public facing, very often. And this is true of so many things in government. You can spend forever trying to find out who's the right person to even talk to about this. Um, Because you find, for example, in France, yeah, they've got a public-facing program and run out of their national uh, space agency. 
Does that mean that somewhere in military intelligence there isn't somebody else looking at this on a, a non-public classified basis? No, of course it doesn't mean that. There, there almost certainly is. So sometimes even groups like To The Stars with their, their backgrounds and their existing contacts can't necessarily find what's my right, you know, with, with all these different countries, where's my in? Who do I talk to? And will they even talk to us? Now, I don't know which people into the stars, for example, still have an active security clearance and which don't. Or even if they do, whether they would necessarily have the need to know to immediately, for example, get FaceTime with, with somebody doing this officially in a classified program in a particular country. All those questions are, are up in the air. Good luck to them. Absolutely. This is a global issue, not a national one. Um, but the more you globalize it, the more you begin to worry some of the people in the classified programs who, who think, well, wait a minute, you know, this isn't something that, that we want, you know, United Nations talking about or, or ending up in, open scientific journals. These are classified programs. So this is, this is your fundamental dilemma. Do you open it up globally and bring in scientists and, and make it more public, but then do you lose the buy-in that you might just have been beginning to get from some people in the system who, who might just engage on this nationally, but who, who won't have anything to, to do with, with well, let's, let's have forums and symposia and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess my last question, um, well, I mean, along those lines, I guess the international, uh, I think that you, you just bring up a good topic. So it's kind of in, in my brain. I guess the last question, uh, I want to ask a question from the audience here. Space Force, is it, somebody asked, you know, does this have to anything to do with trying to get more budget for Space Force? But um, Space Force really hasn't been a major player, nor is someone uh, identified where this project would lay. Um, it's the ONI who's kind of taken lead. So if anybody were to have an increased budget at this point, it may be the ONI unless they come up with a different plan. But thus far, Space Force doesn't seem to have much to do with any of this currently? No. I, I mean, I think the, the best I can say about Space Force is that if, I, I, I'm not trying to trivialize it, but if a hostile extraterrestrial presence suddenly and openly manifested itself and started openly engaging, then Space Force would doubtless have a, a role to play. But as envisaged and as constituted, it's nothing to do with UFO and UAP, um, though, as I say, it could, it could be reconfigured to meet that threat if such a threat suddenly materialized. It, what it's to do with is the fact that in any future war, I think most analysts say that the two key battle spaces will, will be um, cyberspace and outer space, and going right back to von Clausewitz, um, what is the quote? I'm probably going to mangle it, but it's it's maximum force at 
the critical um, point. So you want to dominate what you think the key future battle spaces are going to be. And that means dominating cyberspace, information warfare, etc., and dominating the, the new space race. So does it have anything to do with UAP? Probably not. Could it be reconfigured quickly if, if something materialized? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I guess to sum up, the situation we're in is I don't think too different than the situation you were in in the UK and that um, at least we're look we're we're going to see the files you know with the UK there's the announcement we're going to release all their file all our files uh, which they did um, UFO community was disappointed what was in there people like me who want to see some more uh, about the encounters and the unidentifieds were personally I was excited about it I feel along those lines that the good thing is and this is I think what people the, the takeaway the UFO community is missing, we're, we're in a new space in that uh, now UFOs, UAP are a legit topic. And that means a lot in that even if this report is not that exciting, it's, you know, here's what we've seen so far. It doesn't amount to much, but we're going to keep our eye on it. So don't worry. We got this. And the Senate's like, great. As long as you got it, that's what we want to hear because we haven't heard that from you before. Um so and, and they're satisfied with that, at least at this point now, it's, you know, a, a topic that's above board. Now it's a topic that can come up in mainstream discussions, scientific discussions, other discussions out there, just like it has been over the last few coming up more. People like you can more comfortably, you know, appear in a mainstream media and and not seem like a conspiracy theorist because you're talking about you know, official things that governments have done, your own and ours uh, now. Um, so, I mean, those are positive things. Um, and and it means there will be more positive movement, I think. Um, it's just probably going to be slow. Yes, we, we are going to. I mean, people shouldn't automatically assume they're going to get everything that the Senate Intelligence Committee gets, but but they'll probably get something. Um, but yes, and, and in parallel with that, yes, there will probably be some more documentation emerging in, in bits and pieces as, as a result of FOIA requests, journalistic inquiry, um, you know, just, just whatever mechanism these things come out, we'll, we'll get, we'll get some more bits and pieces, but yeah, it's not necessarily going to be a, a big pulling aside of the curtain reveal here it is it it will be more here's another here's another here's another and then of course everyone sets the bar in different places when does all this evidence become proof well some people say we're already past that point and i see some people say you've already had disclosure um because you're not going to get a spaceship in a hangar but what you get is the U.S. government saying, yeah, these things are in our airspace. We don't know what they are. We chase them. We track them. We film them. Um, maybe that's all you'll get, ever really get from the government, um, partly because other things may be classified, partly because maybe that's as far as they've gotten with it. And like I say, sometimes unidentified just means unidentified. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so... You know, people people set this evidence bar in 
different places. And it's almost like considering a verdict. Are you being asked to rule on this on the balance of probability or beyond reasonable doubt? And even there, some people set the bar in different places. I mean, that's the great thing about individuals and human beings. We, we have these different filters and different, different ways of, of judging these things. So, so a whole bunch of people out there think that this is a done deal. And, and yeah, we've, we've proved it. And others are like, no, you haven't. You haven't proved anything. And so I, I tell you what, that debate, I guarantee you, we'll still be having in 10, 20, 30 years' time. Luckily, the, the debate is elevated, at least. It's no longer in the, you know, uh, it's, it's more respectable to have that debate. So um, it, it's, it's fun. And thank you so much for being here because, uh, you know, you've got this one foot uh, with your government experience and, and working with mainstream media. And then the other foot is over here, you know, in the UFO community. Uh, you certainly understand and, and observe that community. And it's just bringing those two together, which which are so, you know, far apart. But uh, it's really helpful to have like people like you to bring that together and, and having insight on both sides of things. Um, what is your perspective? Do you feel positive, um, you know, about all of these developments? Yes, I do. Um, there's no getting away from the fact that we are much further forward than we were um, just short of three years ago. And uh, as you said, this has a respectability. Um, I, the, the little sound bite I have on this, but I think it sums up where we are, is that this subject has come out of the fringe and into the mainstream. And, um, and, and that's true both in terms of the things that that we see in the mainstream media uh, public. And it's true, I think, of one or two things going on behind the scenes too. And that can only be good news. As I say, there is, there is a, a danger that we hit a, a roadblock here and that, that a report comes out and it says, yeah, we've taken a look at this and it's all either kids with drones or, or you know, the odd identified, which, which frankly, we may never be able to pin down every unidentified, but that's your lot. And, and if, that, if that's what we get, or if we get, I mean, I said, I've said this many times, the UFO community, fascinating though these three, three videos are, I can't help but think that the UFO community is betting the farm on these three videos. And what if, what if next week, DOD comes around and says, you know what, we've taken another look and we've figured it out. And it's all, we've, you know, it, it was actually, it was one of ours. We just didn't ask the right people. There was a classified test. Yeah, I can't tell you much about it, but, but it's our new gizmo. Um, okay, fair. A lot of people maybe wouldn't believe it, but a lot of people would. And there would be a sudden deflation of the balloon that had built up and a sort of, oh, those videos, wow, they were just drones. Oh no. So I I, I don't want to I don't want to end on a depressing note, but we we shouldn't kid ourselves about this. We we shouldn't kid ourselves that suddenly and unexpectedly a prosaic explanation, which many would regard as bad news, might suddenly emerge. And and you know Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But don't let's bet the farm on just three videos. And don't let's bet the farm on what, what 
TTSA might or might not be able to do or or what the Senate Intelligence Committee might or might not be able to find out. These are all very worthy things, but it's not the whole story. And and I know I'm arguably contradicting a point I made earlier when when I said that this is in the hands of a small group of people. But but let's not bet the farm on just three videos and a report being done by by um, DNI, which might run to just two very bland pages for all we know. Mm -hmm. A couple of quotes but, people have put in here. Thurston Noodles says, I'm not sure who Thurston is. We are mainstream now. Soon science will follow. Great quote. quote. Um, I agree with that. And then another one was uh, Elizondo quote, which is along the lines of what you're just saying is uh, disclosure is not an event. It's a process. And um, I think those are great uh, ideas too about where we are currently that fit nicely with what you just said. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, Nick. This was incredibly insightful and uh, hopefully very grounding for people. So people can kind of, you know, I think we all get carried away too. You know, we get so excited. We get carried away with the speculation and what might be, but sometimes we need to get grounded to, to realize where we are. And that makes us more effective in what activities we might do to help things. So, uh, and you're a big help with that. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been great to chat with you. And I hope people have found this discussion uh, interesting. And I hope that it inspires a lot of discussion and debate. Yeah. And I guess uh, you, people can find out more about you at nickpope.net. And do you have anything coming up that you wanted to talk about? Uh, not not particularly. I mean, obviously, I'm going to continue to do what I do. I, I'm sure people will see me crop up on on some of the TV news programs that we've mentioned and on um there's obviously been a bit of a a pause in in-person filming but uh you know things are beginning to happen again so so one or two things in the pipeline coming and and just i think whether it's me personally but but more generally the things happening in this subject yes we should stay grounded and realistic and not necessarily expect too much but there is no getting away from the fact that we are in interesting times with this subject. So, so stay tuned. Lots, lots going on. And, and yes, there is more to come. Mm -hmm. There's certainly going to be revelations that we can't even imagine. Um, most likely coming in the next year or so, especially if you're to believe uh, some of the two, the stars guys who Elizondo still says, you know, there's a lot out there that he thinks is going to come out. So exciting things to look forward to. Indeed. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.